1: all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy and I am joined today by Kristen Conger. Hello, Sarah Dowdy. <laughs> so Kristen hosts Stuff Mom Never Told You. Um, she's also a writer for HowStuffWorks.com. And while Dublina's been out on maternity leave, I've had the pleasure of editing, Kristen, which has been fun. You've been writing all kinds of political things and some stranger topics the past few weeks. I liked matchmaking. That was yes. interesting. <laughs> that was a fun one for the
3: podcast as well for Stuff Mom Never Told You.
2: It's it's your kind of theme, right? Yeah. But today we're not going strictly Stuff Mom Never Told You territory. We're going to embrace the season. It is, after all, October, and we love to cover spooky seasonal episodes during the month of October. So what better topic to kick it all off with than trick-or-treating? Yeah. It's fun.
3: Well, because it seems like with Halloween, it's pretty common knowledge that it goes back to ancient Celtic tradition. Mm -hmm. But then there's this giant gap. We start, you know, with the Celtic tradition and then all of a sudden we are buying
2: billions of pounds of candy. And expensive costumes Mm -hmm. and costumes for pets. How did we get there? (laughs) How did we get from the old bonfire days to what we think of as Halloween today? And I mean, I for one love Halloween. So I... I'm interested in this progression and some of the olden days rituals, but also how it how it got to where it is today.
3: Yeah, because it's also a funny example of how the the church tried to change uh, a pagan holiday into something holy, co-opted essentially. <laughs> yeah, and they were completely thwarted, and now the church still.
2: Well, some folks do. And and that's going to be something we'll we'll talk about a little more. What sort of um, demonic history does Halloween actually have? But I mean, I guess we should start by talking about the Celts and the Celtic clans that celebrated a holiday called Samhain. And It was essentially a harvest festival, um, on the, on the outside of things, you know, end of the new year for, for the Celtic clans, end of the harvest season, time to bring in your herds from pasture, time to renew leases, and also because the fabric between the, this world and the world beyond was especially thin. It was the time for souls to come back home.
3: Yes, it was believed that this was a special time when uh the the living and the dead could interact and Samhain specifically was a festival of the dying sun god and was kind of like the Celtic New Year's celebration. Yeah, it
2: was. It was, essentially.
3: Um, and it's thought, too, that um, since uh, there was all this harvesting going on and there was also um, slaughtering of animals, that people would wear the um, the animal hides from cattle and livestock, and perhaps these were primitive
2: costumes. Well, and we can get into to the purpose behind these costumes a little more, too, but it was also sort of just a spooky time of year. I mean, you can imagine with all the souls coming back, but it was a good time to do fortune tellings, you know, to arrange things like uh, the date of a marriage or when somebody might die. When would that happen? Uh, you just had a clearer picture, supposedly, of, mm. of what the world held. But when we talk about souls coming back, what interests me is that that's not necessarily a bad thing some of these would be beloved family members friends uh, not spooky scary souls but some would be evil spirits and so to to put some distance between yourself and all of the evil things that might be coming back for Samhain People would light these giant bonfires to, to either help guide the good spirits or scare off the bad ones. Mm-hmm.
3: There is um, a tradition in Scotland, actually, where farmers would light torches of braided straw and march around their property to supposedly ward off the evil witches and demons. Well, and,
2: and going back to you talking about all of the animals that were being slaughtered around this time, if you did have to go out on Salon, it was a good idea to disguise yourself in some kind of costume, like an animal hide, so that the evil spirits wouldn't recognize you.
3: And sometimes, too, the evil spirits might inhabit the body of a wild animal, so some families would leave food out
2: to feed these, uh, I guess, possessed Early Animals. early treats, we might say. Yeah. So when the Romans arrived in Britain in the first century, they they were sort of the first. We were just talking about Christians co opting these ancient holidays. They were sort of the first to do that. They moved in on Salon with their own festivals that were timed around this time of year anyway. They had a harvest festival around this time. They had a festival of the dead. Um just sort of get everybody on the same page celebrating the same festivals, whether they were traditional or new. But by the 7th century, the same thing was happening with the Christian holidays. And Pope Boniface IV originally set up All Saints Day for March, but about a century later moved it to November 1st because it was clear that uh, people were going to be celebrating Uh, this kind of thing anyway at that time of year Mm -hmm. yeah in uh,
3: 601 AD Pope Gregory the first actually issued an edict to missionaries uh, basically saying that um, in order to convert native people simply repurpose their festivals (laughs) and their holidays for
2: Christianity and that's what happened with uh, all saints day and I mean, before All Saints day, the the day before that, which was still All Hallows Eve, which we know is Halloween, uh, it it did take on a more negative connotation though or at least the spirits that were out because that doesn't mesh too well with with Christianity, these nice spirits coming back and visiting. It became more about demons and and scary things that were coming out that night and to buy them off, going back to what you were just talking about, leaving out things for these animal spirits. To buy them off, people would leave food and drink outside. Eventually, some folks wised up to this, (laughs) that all their neighbors were leaving out tasty treats on All Hallows' Eve. And started dressing up as scary things themselves to indulge in all this bounty. Yeah, they would go a-souling,
3: which reminds <laughs> me of, you know, the Christmas carol going a uh, wasling yeah. here we go a wasseling. It was the same thing, <laughs> these clever people getting food and drink all throughout winter. Um, and they would go from house to house um, begging for these things called soul cakes, which are little cakes that they would make, sometimes with currants, uh, I guess imprinted in the shape of crosses on them. Uh, and supposedly the souling tradition also came out of something called mumming, which I believe you've talked about on the podcast before, Sarah. Yeah,
2: about a year ago, Dublina and I did an episode on Guy Fawkes Day. And mumming is still a tradition in Britain. And uh, we... We hadn't really heard much about it. We asked listeners, like, does anybody out there still do mumming? We heard back from so many people who it's apparently a strong tradition still in their community. But, yeah, essentially it's kind of Halloween-esque. And um, I can see how this tradition... I don't know, how how we celebrate Halloween today emerged from something like mumming back Mm -hmm. then. Yeah, because supposedly they were still
3: dressing up as now the fairies, witches, and demons, kind of taking on that darker side of Halloween. They're the evil spirit. Yeah, that we now associate with it. And so you must placate them with some kind of sweet treat like a soul cake.
1: Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin.
0: privileges and start earning points toward your next day. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true.
4: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
0: explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: There is a pretty strong connection, though, to this idea of the dead returning, or at least honoring the dead in some way, though. And in England, poor people would organize what they called soul parades, which I think is a pretty awesome name, too, where instead of just going out and begging or thinking of of later trick-or-treating where it's essentially a deal, I won't play a prank on you if you give me a treat, this was give me alms in exchange for prayers for your dead. And kids sort of took that over eventually, and they'd call themselves soulers, and and again, the soul cakes come into play there. You'd give these kids little cakes, and they'd pray for your, your family members. Um, we both found a recipe for these cakes, too, by the way, online. I think NPR had one, mm-hmm. and they sound pretty good. Yeah, they're really simple, almost like... They reminded me of snickerdoodles. Snickerdoodles with some saffron and mm-hmm. some nutmeg thrown in. Currants, of course.
3: Yeah, a little bit of
2: uh, cinnamon. What else? Yeah, sugar, they're, butter. They're pretty eggy, I think. Yeah. Um, but, I mean... I'm curious to try them, although I won't be giving them out to my trick-or-treaters, because we will discuss more on that later, <laughs> why packaged candy is really the, the only way to go these days. Well, and also, you know, Soul Cakes, too,
3: this NPR cook warns, get stale within a day or two. It's oh. kind of like Halloween candy. You just you should eat them. Just binge <laughs> on it. As quickly <laughs> as possible. Um, but it's it's funny you bring up the uh, how the adult beggars were then kind of taken over by the the young parades of... The solars and that kind of trickle down from, uh, from the adults to the kids is the same kind of thing that's gonna happen a little bit later once it crosses over yeah. to the US. But one, um, as, as a parallel to these soul parades, uh, I read about how in, Ireland especially, and in some parts of England, there was also a tradition of a guy dressing up as a white horse that was called Lair Bon, that hmm. uh, apparently was the Celtic symbol of fertility. Um, and it was also <laughs> referred to as the Hoddening Horse, I think that was in England, that would lead these Samhain processions. So... If you're
2: looking for a Halloween costume, <laughs>
3: white horse, yes, go as Bonn and no one will
2: get what it is, but we'll get points. That does sound like a pretty good idea for <laughs> the history lovers out there with pretty um, bold costume aspirations. But um, by the 1800s, I mean, we're, we've got to talk a little bit more about immigrants, British-Irish immigrants, starting to take these traditions to America, even though not all colonies allowed this type of very pagan influence celebration to, to go down. But by the 1800s, it really just seemed like such a mishmash. This is where I lost track of all these different traditions, because all these different things are happening by this point. Harvest festivals, things that sound kind of like Halloween, things that sound kind of like trick-or-treating, um, mumming, even something called Mischief Night, which sounded really wild. It had been imported from Yorkshire. And according to Karen Allen in BBC History Magazine, it would have taken place on November 4th, so the night before Bonfire Night. Um, but Kids could essentially do whatever they wanted on mischief night and not be punished in any way for it. And that might just be something fairly harmless, like tying a doorknob to the doorknob across the street and then knocking on both doors. But it might be like putting coal powder on the threshold of doors and then setting it on fire to smoke out the people inside. Things that start to sound... A, a little more sinister, I guess so apparently what was supposed to start out as like a celebratory feast period to honor saints turned into rampant <laughs> hooliganism yes. coal dust on the doorstep and um I mean, I think y- you were you were gonna talk a little bit more about what was going on uh as far as the timing for these celebrations too It, it isn't all October 31st. It's not even all uh, mischief night, November 4th. It happens throughout the autumnal period, essentially. Yeah, there's something about late October
3: and November that seems to uh, make us Want to go a little bit wild because <laughs> what I didn't realize was that these traditions would also span into the Thanksgiving season. In the the late 18th century, um, Thanksgiving was treated as more of a carnival than a sit down, nice feast. calm feast that you might have uh, with your family. And I read about this group called the Fantastics that were essentially a group of Revolutionary War veterans. That would parade in rags of Continental soldiers and cause all sorts of mischief. And again, like the trick-or-treating, they would go from door to door uh, masquerading for treats. And uh, apparently they kind of got so much out of hand
2: that people wanted the <laughs> Fantastics to just hang up their <laughs> Continental garb. That does sound pretty wild. I don't know. It's it's one thing if it's the kids tying your doorknob, maybe another if it is a bunch of old Revolutionary War veterans (laughs) causing trouble on the streets. Uh, But that does give a really good example of how different we are talking about from Harvest Festival honoring the dead side of things to grown men causing trouble. Yeah, and
3: I got to say, if the Fantastics showed up at my house, I would give them soul cakes, I would give them candy,
2: <laughs> really anything. You'd probably try to buy one of their costumes, too, for your own future Halloween celebration. That's true. Trade them my Thanksgiving turkey. I think perhaps. that's idea number two, white horse, Revolutionary Army uniform. Let's get back to talking about modern Halloween. Um, so, by the mid-20th century... The mischief-making side of things had started to seem a little unsavory to people. Um, they, folks were t- starting to cause too much trouble to, to seem respectable. And respectable adults had been having sort of Halloween parties throughout the 1920s and 30s anyway, with things, um, seasonal sort of things like apples, pumpkins, um, candy, homemade candy, like fudge, popcorn balls, but, By the 1940s, it really seemed like people were looking for a way to channel their kids away from this night where they could just go cause a bunch of trouble out on the streets and doing something that was a little more controlled, like dressing up and asking for candy.
3: Yeah, and trick-or-treating as we know it today um, is thought to have started in wealthier areas on the East Coast, maybe as early as... 1920. Um there is actually this great excerpt from uh the October 1920 Ladies' Home Journal <laughs> talking about um can I read it to you oh, because yes. the direct quote is so necessary for this. It's a woman talking about I guess some some very early uh trick or treaters. She says, "A group of hilarious youngsters in costume including two Charlie Chaplins, more costume <laughs> more ideas.
4: Costume.
3: Two Charlie Chaplins, a Topsy." I don't
2: know what I a Topsy. I don't even is. know what that one is. <laughs>
3: A gingerbread man and an Indian noisily approach the front door of a large house, ring the bell, and when the owner herself comes to the door, greets her in chorus with "Nuts! Nuts! We want nuts!"
2: <laughs> I wish that still <laughs> happened. Maybe, maybe this year, Kristen. <laughs> I'm just gonna go door to door, dresses, a fantastic
3: begging for nuts.
2: <laughs> or Charlie Chaplin. I, I like that one. So, yeah, that's a that's a peek at. 20s era trick-or-treating, but it really was sort of sporadic during that period. It wasn't until after World War II that it became just a normal thing for kids to do. You'd take your kids out trick-or-treating. And um, if we're going to talk about trick-or-treating, though, we've got to talk about the development to how we think of it today with fun-sized candy, a lot of pre-bought Pre-made costumes, no white horses out there, no Charlie Chaplins, things you can buy at the store.
1: Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin.
0: Privileges and start earning points toward your next day. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true.
4: Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year
2: it wasn't really about candy right away, going going to trick-or-treat. I mean, as your quote suggests, nuts, nuts, we want nuts. You might get fruit, you might get change, you might get cookies and toys. And weirdly, candy manufacturers had seized on the idea of tie-ins with holidays as early as 1900 or so for Christmas and for Easter, but not for Halloween. She writes about how Washington's birthday was a bigger deal at the time. You could buy marzipan cherries and cocoa logs to to celebrate the first president's birthday, but Halloween wasn't, um, wasn't an opportunity for candy manufacturers yet. But by the 50s, candy became what was expected for trick-or-treating. It was cheap. It was easy to buy a lot of it. And candy manufacturers embraced that by making tiny candy that came in giant bags. And it's also in
3: 1950 where one trick-or-treating tradition that I feel like is... Maybe fallen off a little bit, but this is the goodwill side of trick-or-treating. Um, a group of Pennsylvania kids from a Sunday school decided that instead of collecting these candies door-to-door, they would collect change to give to World War II orphans. And they collected $17, which I'm sure was a lot That's of a money, lot. Yeah. in 1950, and donated it to UNICEF. And uh, UNICEF had only been around at that point for maybe four or five years. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was such a great idea. They started making um, trick-or-treating uh, an opportunity for all the kids to collect money.
2: So do you ever see UNICEF trick-or-treaters? I see the boxes in in stores, but I don't think I've ever entertained any myself. you know mm-hmm. uh, I wonder how much of a tradition that still is or whether it was bigger uh, a decade or so ago or a few decades ago. Well, they still tout it um on their website, and I they
3: had a campaign it might have been last year where for the first time, you could make your own UNICEF boxes, but yeah i'm I have yet to see. UNICEF trick or treaters.
2: Well, and if we're if we're thinking of the money side of things too, I was amazed at numbers relating to the costume industry um because I've always had homemade costumes mm-hmm. but the The amount that people spend on costumes today, it really does drive home the point that Halloween is a huge industry today between the candy and the costumes. According to a Newsweek article just from last year, so these are pretty recent, um, people in the United States spend 68 86 billion dollars on Halloween and 1.2 billion of that is for adult costumes versus 1 billion for children's costumes and 310 million for pet costumes.
3: I mean I've got to say I can get completely on board with the pet costumes. <laughs> I'm not I'm I'm not down on that
2: side. But adults are spending more on their costumes. Yes. Than kids are. A good bit more actually. And I I wonder if that's broken down for households if you're outfitting if that number of 1 billion is outfitting your three children or something versus just yourself. But I don't know. It's it's Pretty wild figure to consider, and I wonder what those folks um, back in Celtic days would be thinking with their animal skins. <laughs> they might not be as impressed because no. I have to say the homemade costumes are almost,
3: almost always better than the store bought ones. But, but it is such a huge ripple effect. We have the the giant. Almost like big box Halloween stores that will
2: pop up. The pop up stores. Season. Exactly. They pop up in closed down bookstores or other abandoned uh, retail properties and, and then disappear. And uh, just the list, too, that I got from this Newsweek article of the, the most popular costumes really says something about uh, how much people are spending because they do seem very, very easy to make at home, mm-hmm. which is number one. Then comes pirate, vampire, zombie, Batman. That might be a little hard to do yourself, yeah. unless you had some real costume skills. Cat, vixen, ghost, nurse, and then number 10, scary mask. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I didn't hear Lar Ben, the Celtic
3: symbol no. of fertility. Oh, I'm
2: sorry. That was uh, down at <laughs> <to> number 11.
3: <laughs> or, or a fantastics. Costume. Um, the thing is, though, we're pretty fortunate that we still, that trick-or-treating really still exists today. Because in the 70s, especially, there was a huge panic that trick-or-treating was a direct danger for kids. And not just in the way today where there's uh, more concern about kids, uh, you know, being safe out on their own. Being escorted. Right.
2: Walking, yeah, cars, all of that sort of
3: But in the 70s, there were, this was when all of those um, rumors popped up about razors and the apples and poison candy. candy. Yeah. And it was also, uh, there were the Tylenol murders that were going on, I believe, in the late 70s. And for some reason, it was like that panic spread to Halloween because it happened in early October. And in 1972, actually, uh, the town of Burbank, Illinois, outlawed trick-or-treating and considered it illegal solicitation if you went from town to town. And there were all these other different uh, cities and towns as well. Uh, Hardwick, Massachusetts, also in the late 70s, banned it after kids said they found razor blades in their candy. But then once they go back and they look into whether or not these kids' stories are true... Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. Fortunately, <laughs> for trick or treaters everywhere, the stories have not been true. It's all so just it's urban an urban legend. legend.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's good to hear. Yes, um, comforting. But I mean, that does tie into to the trend too in the in the late '60s and the '70s away from homemade items. I was saying earlier in the show, I kind of want to make soul cakes, but obviously I could never give them to trick-or-treaters because they probably would be grossed out for one or would not want to take them because it would be weird yellow looking cookies. (laughs) Even if they did get them, their parents would throw them away because I think it's pretty generally accepted now only wrapped candy is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean I guess that's from some of these urban legends that come about in the 70s and
3: and 80s. I just wish that we could bring back, instead of all of the, you know, Halloween's such a a fearful kind of uh, holiday, especially for parents having to deal with trick-or-treating, doing all of these costumes and everything. I wish that we could bring back more of the divining games
4: Mm. that used to be associated Mm
3: -hmm. with Samhain and Halloween, because a lot of times um, for the adults, it wasn't so much about... uh, you know, the, the treats, but more figuring out who your husband was
2: going to be. Yeah. Do you have the, the example of that from the mirror? Uh, oh, when you walk down a mirror backwards. What's not, what's yes, so it scary? sounds really dangerous. <laughs> we should say that before we tell this story, we're not responsible if you fall down the stairs doing this. But, um, uh, the, the library of Congress site d- described, um, this divining ritual where you would hold a mirror on Halloween. You would walk backwards down the stairs to the basement and the face that appears in the mirror would be your future lover. If you didn't break your neck. <laughs> and also who's down there in the basement <laughs> waiting.
3: Uh, there was an article uh, published in the New York times from 1892 talking about all of the different, uh, the myriad Halloween traditions that had stuck around. And my favorite was a Scottish one called Pulling the Kale Stalks, mm. in which um, you and your beloved would be blindfolded and you would <laughs> walk out into a field, uh, presumably of kale, <laughs> and... You would each pull up a kale stalk, and then uh, the the dirt attached to the roots would uh, would tell how much wealth you would have. Obviously, the more dirt, the bigger the, the clump, the mm-hmm. better. Uh, the taste was supposed to uh, foretell the temper of your future husband, and then I liked this. Uh, you could tell the size of your partner based on the size of the stalk. <laughs> So if it was short and squat, then you know, look for a short oh, well. <laughs> or tall and slender. Um so pulling of the kale stalks I think should definitely be brought back.
2: Okay, so next Halloween party then, pulling of the kale stocks, mm-hmm. maybe um escorted walking down the stairs backwards, you know, like yeah. for safety. Yeah. Have somebody guiding you with that mirror. Um the horse costume, Charlie Chaplin, soul cakes. Mm-hmm. I like the sound of popcorn balls too.
3: I like popcorn balls. One tradition though that we can, we can leave in ancient times is when, uh, they would, they would take little, almost like soul cake kind of, uh, little pastries and carve their initials into them and throw them, I think this was in Wales, they would throw them in a bonfire. And the next day,
2: yeah. if your cake was gone, it meant you would <laughs> die before the next Halloween. It was so ominous. we we'll leave that tradition <laughs> in I the past. Sad. Oh, and then one more that I just have to mention. I love jack-o'-lanterns. I love traditional oh, yes. pumpkin jack-o'-lanterns. I like pumpkins in general. They're fun. But the original jack-o'-lantern was a hollowed-out turnip, which... It kind of sounds like it goes with the kale a little bit. I don't know. Um, it seems like it might be difficult to hollow out a root vegetable mm-hmm. like a turnip, but I guess I could give it a go.
3: Yeah. And the only reason w- that we do pumpkins now is because when the immigrants came over, pumpkins were more plentiful. New world food. Yeah. Than turnips.
2: All right. So hopefully everybody has some good ideas now for a Halloween party from the past. And trick or treating on Thanksgiving, if you're really brave. <laughs> and November fourth, or your mischief night, um, don't come putting coal powder on people's doors. So Though mm-hmm. I think that won't win you any friends. <laughs> um, so, do you have anything else on on the history of trick or treating, Kristen?
3: I don't think so. I'm uh, I'm just excited to have all of these new facts about Halloween and trick or treating.
2: I think this is going to be the kind of information that impresses people's friends, especially you know? at Halloween parties. Yeah, it's, it's a useful... Useful history. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to do some some listener mail now? Sure. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Since we're talking about stamps.com, what a better segue to listener mail. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I did pick some real mail, and I did that partly just because, like, you're not getting my history emails. So, at least with postcards, you can kind of see the fun, too. Um, all of these came from listener Becca, who took a vacation this summer with her family to South Dakota, and I'm not going to read all of them, but there are some really cool pictures. I put up the Pony Express one on my desk, but I think my favorite. You probably like the Charles Ingalls family, Kristen. Ooh, of the Little House in the Prairie. Uh, fame. Little House fame, yes. He's a, a very uh, got an impressive beard there. Indeed, <laughs> um, but <laughs> large beard on the prairie could <laughs> be useful for those cold winters. Um, my favorite postcard, though, from Becca has got to be the Corn Palace, uh, which celebrates uh, it or it celebrated its 100th anniversary in 1992. And that's what the picture of it's this building, a, a firm structure underneath, but one that they decorate in corn-related paraphernalia every year with a different theme. So... I don't know, one day I might have to go check that out. So, thank you so much, Becca, for all of these beautiful postcards. I hope you guys had a good trip. And uh, when Belina comes back, we're going to be talking about a few more of the awesome postcard series we got from from you guys' summer travels this year. Um, so, thank you so much again for joining me to discuss this. Oh, and, well, thank you for having me. And suggesting this topic, too. People have wanted something on the history of Halloween for a long time, but I think the history of Trick or treating is maybe even more indicative of, of this holiday and how it has transformed over the over the centuries. Now we have to try to make some soul cakes at some point. I think so, and, and hollow out our turnips and have a big mess of kale and uh, turnip greens, perhaps. <laughs> Be a very <laughs> <for lunch>. healthy, <laughs> healthy Halloween on the podcast. <laughs> All right, so uh, let us know if you decide to do any of these cool, old school Halloween traditions, and of course, if you have that white horse as your costume. Do you remember, what's his name again, Kristen? Lair Ben. Okay. If you, if you decide to dress as that for Halloween, you've got to post pictures. We are at historypodcast at discovery.com. That's our email. We're also at mist in history on Twitter and we are on Facebook. And again, check out Kristen's podcast, Steph Mom Never Told You. And, um, we have loads of Halloween articles, but I think you wrote one specifically on trick or treating, didn't you? Yes. It's called Why Do We Trick or Treat? All right, so there you go. It is a TLC article, but you can probably still find that by searching on on the homepage for trick-or-treating. Yes. Um, do that by searching for trick-or-treat on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
1: all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.
4: What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design?